0: Log Talk Radio. Driving on that man's wet on the wheel. It's Talking in Circles. There's a the voice in my head that drives my heel. With your hosts, Clayton Caldwell. My baby calling, cause I need you here. And John Harlow. And it's a half past four and I'm shifting gear.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to Talking in Circles. I am Clayton Caldwell with John Harlow here tonight. As we discuss the 60th annual Daytona 500, Austin Dillon won his second career race in very controversial fashion. Where where do you stand? 917-889-8280. We want to hear your takes on that. Where do you stand on the Austin Dillon uh, winning the 60th 500? Was it a clean move? Was it the right move? Would you have done the same thing? Plus, we'll discuss Denny Hamlin and Bubba Wallace, their contact at the end of Daytona 500, and the controversy that followed it. Uh, Who's right? Who's wrong? We'll talk about that. Also, who struggled in the 500? And we'll preview the Folds of Honor Quick Trip 500 at Atlanta Motor Speedway. We'll get to actually some real racing this weekend as well. 917 uh, 889 here on Talking Circles. If you want to chime in on anything we talk about tonight. But first, John Austin Dillon, a surprise winner, uh, had a very good speed week. He ran good in the, in the uh, Clash, ran good in his duels, um, ran good in the 500, obviously. It was a race that... You had to survive. I mean, uh, carnage was, was the word of the day uh, all weekend, really, at Daytona, whether it was a truck race, whether it was the Xfinity race, or whether it was the cup race. Uh, Dylan survived, and at the end, he, he made a very controversial move. Um, Erica Marola was winning on a final lap of the day, Daytona 500. Dylan made contact with Erica Marola, sent him into the outside wall, and Dylan went on to win uh, the 60th Daytona 500 What were your thoughts on that finish, John, before I give you my take? If I'm Eric Almirola,
0: and it doesn't seem like he's pissed off about it, I don't have a problem then. I mean, that's the way these races are set up. You can't win without somebody pushing you. If you're in front and somebody else has a head of steam, you have to block to stay in front. Eric Omarola did what he's supposed to do. Austin Dillon did what he's supposed to do when he could see the checkered flag of the Daytona 500. It's a racing deal. Unfortunately, it's the damn package and the restrictor plates where you're not racing each other. It's two lines to see who gets the most momentum and who can get the air to go better. I mean, you look half of those accidents this week should have never happened. They wouldn't happen on a regular track, but it's the final lap of the Daytona 500. That's what you do. I mean, you saw it years ago. Tony Stewart tried the same thing at Talladega and took out half the field from the lead because he tried to block momentum. And wound up half the field. Eric Almirola tried to win the Daytona 500 the only way he could in the situation he had. He tried to block. It didn't work. Austin Dillon tried to win the Daytona 500
1: the only way he could, and he did. Here's my take on it, and I think it's something that I think a lot of people will not like what I'm about to say, but I think Austin Dillon went to turn three with the total disregard of somebody's safety. Now, you can say that's how it is at these play tracks, and you're correct, but I think Austin Dillon said, I'm going to not lift no matter what the outcome is. And I know it's 2018, and we've come a long way in safety since 2001. But Amarola hit head-on, and that wreck was scary when you saw how hard he hit and how head-on and how abrupt he came to a stop. Now, we're very fortunate here in 2018 to have safer barriers, to have the Hans device, to have safer race cars, to have all that stuff we didn't have 15, 20 years ago. Um, But still, you know, to me, it's almost a false – sense of safety these drivers have and I think that's part of the reason why we saw a lot of corners this weekend John is these kids and these drivers have never experienced hitting concrete before and I know well concrete's not there anymore but still you can never be too safe and one of these days if you do that and you take a total disregard for somebody else's well-being something's going to happen Austin Dillon came very very close here a couple of years ago in a July race to having a major major catastrophe uh, at the start finish line at Daytona Luckily the safe race cars and, and all the safety features we have as well Kept him safe But he went with a total disregard in the turn 3 And not caring what happened to Eric Amarola um, To me That is a little bit Not the way you would want to go about it uh, I think there was a way He you know he had somebody drafting with him and, and, and Bubba Wallace I think Bubba Wallace would have stuck with Austin Dillon The entire time and there didn't need to be contact, but again, um, I think he turned left into Eric Amarola knowing what was going to happen, and I have a problem with that, um, on a super speedways. You want to do it at Bristol, you want to do it at Martinsville, you want to do it at Richmond, I can live with that. Uh, those tracks have, have contact, you're only going 120 on a straightaways, you break through the corners, that's fine, but at 200 miles an hour, uh, I have a, and to go in there with, with, a total disregard of somebody of another competitor's safety. I have a problem with that.
0: I also, I don't disagree with you at all. I think it's a pro it is a product of the racing that they put together for Daytona and Talladega. If we are in Atlanta, if we are at Texas, that move doesn't happen because they aren't bunched up like that. And what bothered me and I, whenever I watched it live, I'm thinking, all right, what a story this is going to be, Eric Carolla. Both of us said this is his chance to prove what kind of driver he is. In his first race with Stuart Haas, he's in the lead going into turn three of the final lap of the Daytona 500. What a story this is going to be. And then he gets turned into the wall. Austin Dillon wins. Never was it mentioned on the broadcast. Oh, what a, that could have been a dirty move. It was like, oh, the three car won 20 years after Dale did, and he had a lucky penny too, and woohoo! the three car, look at RCR, he's so happy about his grandson. Nobody gave a rat's ass about Eric Almirola going head first into the wall. The thing where I, <clears throat> when I'm watching it live, I'm ticked off at Austin Dillon on behalf of Eric Almirola. I'm thinking, being the fan that I am, that Tony Stewart and Eric Almirola are going to find Childress and Austin Dillon. There's going to be some hell to pay before we left. I was thinking 79 Daytona 500. This is going to be Bobby Allison, or, I mean, Donnie Allison and Cale Yarbrough again, where there's a fight in the infield center or something. But no, Tony and Eric Almirola said, hey, we did what we tried to. He did what he needed to. No harm, no foul. So if the car owner and the driver are saying no harm, no foul, how are we to really gripe about it?
1: Let me or ask Tony you this.
0: Stewart's the one who lost a lot of money out of this.
1: Let me ask you this, and it's a good point. You bring up a fair, fair point. But I was talking to a, a mutual friend of ours, and he brought up a great point this afternoon, and I want your opinion on it. If that's Brad Kislowski or Kevin Harvick in that 10 car, do you think they react the same way?
0: I think if it's Brad Keselowski – or Kevin Harvick in that 10 car, the fight takes place.
1: Exactly. Especially that's if it's Harvick. The, and there's a time where you – and Erica Amarul a nice kid. There's no doubt about it. I'm not trying to say – but eventually you have to get a little bit mean because these, these drivers will walk all over you until you do and and announce your presence with, with authority almost. Look at Joey Logano. Everybody remembers the controversy he had with Tony Stewart and the controversy he had with Denny Hamlin. But a lot of people looked at that and said – well, Logano this, Logano that. But really, no veteran other than Matt Kenseth has messed with Joey Logano since he sort of stood up for himself. And you sit there and you go, Amarola, maybe he's being a little bit too nice here. Maybe he's sitting there going, eh. And maybe, I don't know, I just think he's being – it's time for Eric Amarola to, to you know, show that he's, he's not going to get pushed around. Because I think if a veteran sees this at a track like Martinsville, at a track like Richmond, they're going to say, well, I can push Eric Amarola out of the way because he's not going to do anything. You got to put your foot down. You got to sit there and say, you know what? I'm not going to take this stuff anymore. I'm in a good ride. This is the opportunity of a lifetime for me. I'm, a, I'm a, a corner away from the Daytona 500, and I got wrecked running for the lead. I just, again, I think I'm rolling. Like, like you said, you're absolutely right. If it's Brad Kislowski, if it's Kevin Harvick, if it's Denny Hamlin, if it's Kyle Busch, if that happens, these guys get mad, and. The, to me, that is the nat, almost the natural reaction we expected Eric Amarola to have. Maybe Amarola was too nice in this, in this uh, point here. Um, but you know, I'm not trying to take any, anything away from Austin Dillon. He ran a great race, stayed out of trouble, got a little lucky because he missed all the wrecks. But that's part of Daytona and Talladega, no doubt about it. Um, won the Daytona 500, a big win for RCR. That three-car looked good all weekend. The 43, I thought, looked good, and we'll discuss him in a little bit uh, as well. Um, but I just, again, I just think Amarola being nice about it, it's a nice gesture to look at him and say, well, that's, that's a really high, the high road to take, but eventually he's going to have to sit here and uh, fight for himself, in my opinion. Well, the thing is, and
0: again, I thought about it as, we were, as you were talking there, the biggest hothead ever, well, not the biggest hothead, but he's been known to be a hothead is his car owner. If Tony Stewart feels like he's been wronged, he will let you know, or he will pay you back. And you're thinking, okay, if Tony Stewart sees that and he's not pleased about it, he's going down to the three pit and saying something. Instead of going to the infield care center and saying, Eric, we got something to build on. The other part well, I'm thinking Stewart's about, the Tony,
1: is different Tony than Stewart the
0: is going to be in a civil case this summer. So I'm thinking Tony can't play that role. He's got to play nice because... The civil case that's going on with the Kevin Ward incident. If he goes down there and grabs somebody and throws them to the ground, guess what? That, guess what? Videos showed up on the first day of court. So, I mean, thinking of that just right this second, I'm thinking, okay, now Tony's not going to be able to stand up for him. Eric is going to have to stand up for himself. And Harvick was probably halfway to Charlotte. Or Charlotte probably. Because Eric Alvaro is in the infield care center, and Harvick's always looked for an excuse to go after the Dillon boys because he said they're Silver Spoon kids. So I I still think it's a product of the racing, and it's also a product of the young bucks who've never gone roof sky ground. But Austin Dillon, hell, he took out the fence one year and walked away from it, so he's thinking, oh, what the hell, nothing's going to hurt us. I'm going to make that move, and I'm going to win the Daytona 500, and he did.
1: Nine one seven eight eight nine eight two eight zero talking circles, Clayton Caldwell, John Harlow here with you tonight. Discussing the Daytona five hundred, the controversial finish between Austin Dillon and Eric Amarola. Um, you know, and part of why Amarola is is at Stuart Haas Racing is Smithfield loves him. They love what he brings off the on not only on the track, but off the track. He's a nice guy, and you know, I'm sure Smithfield wouldn't be happy to see their sponsor logo. Uh, going after the the winner of the Daytona 500. So that's something else to keep in mind as well. And that's where we get into the corporate discussion as far as NASCAR is concerned and how that's changed. Tony Stewart, the car owner, isn't the same as Tony Stewart, the driver. Tony Stewart knows that. Uh, As an owner, you know, it's a bad look if you go up there and start hitting people or going after somebody. Um, So I think he's smart enough to do that where if you were a driver, you couldn't really, you you really couldn't control it when you were a driver, Um, you know, and going out there and running. But let's talk about Bubba Wallace and Denny Hamlin here because that was the second sort of incident at the start-finish line. You know, I was at the track. I couldn't really see who hit the wall initially um, coming off of uh, – coming to the start-finish line. You couldn't really see who it was. You just saw smoke. Ended up being Bubba Wallace in the outside wall in the 43 car after he finished second. Uh, contact from Denny Hamlin. Sounded like in his in-car camera that Hamlin blew right front tire, slid, slid into the 43 and put him into the outside wall. Uh, they had a confrontation at the end of the race. Bubba Wallace made a comment about Denny Hamlin's earlier comments about Adderall, saying Denny Hamlin needed to take another Adderall to focus, and that's why he, he ran into the 43 car. Um, but first, you know, let's talk about Bubba Wallace here before we get into the Adderall comments and everything. I thought he had a good weekend. Um, bounced it off the wall early in the 500, but was smart, went to the rear, you know, caught his bearings a little bit, caught his breath for about 20, 25 laps, and then worked his way back up to the front. Had a fast race car, darn near came to winning his first Daytona 500, uh, but a solid weekend for Bubba Wallace in that 43 car. Um, it, it's a plate race, and we you don't want to get too excited because there's nothing else like it, like plate racing on the circuit. But a nice weekend for uh, Richard Petty Motorsports in that 43 car.
0: I think one of the biggest comments coming out of uh, for Bubba Wallace was last night with Kevin Harvick on uh, Happy Hours, where he said Bubba Wallace is one of the drivers in the sport who can move the needle if he has the finishes to back it up. He said Danica was one who could move the needle, but she did not have the finishes to back it up. After the first little bit where she did okay, but then she started doing 25th to 35th in the field, he said, yeah, you if Bubba keeps the performance, he can move the needle. There are a couple people that Harvick talked about in the uh, when it comes to moving the needle in the sport. Chase Elliott, he's one that can move the needle because he has the Elliott name. Junior could move the needle because he has the Earnhardt name. Bubba Wallace can move the needle and bring fans into the sport who have not been there before. I mean, you look, Bubba Wallace before the race got a brand new Twitter follower, Lewis Hamilton, the F1 champion. Hank Aaron called him before the race. Hank Aaron is the epitome of the African-American athlete. And you have someone like that who is a big member of the African-American community calling you before the race to give them your support. There are going to be more people of the African-American race watching the sport, paying attention to the sport, because Bubba, if he does well, if Bubba goes out and there's a flash in the pan and starts going to 25th to 30th, nobody's going to care. But if he goes out and starts winning, and being a top five, top ten car on a regular basis, we're going to have a bunch of new fans because they have someone they
1: can identify with in this sport. And that's something they've never had. It's interesting, and there's no doubt about it. And I, I just say this. You know, Bubba, he's done a good job. He's, he's been a uh, a nice ambassador for the sport. But I just warn NASCAR, don't show them down our throats. You know, um, I, I think fans, let it, let it happen naturally. If this kid can drive a race car and he's he's African-American and people like him and he's a nice kid and he, and he um, you know engages with the fans and does all that, great. I'm all for that, but but I think you could wear the fan out a little bit if you shove him down our throats. Um, that's the concern I get, and I think that sort of happened with Danica. You sort of got a little bit of Danica fatigue after a while because NASCAR just kept pumping her out, pumping her out, pumping her out, pumping her out, and all of a sudden you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa enough. I don't want to hear about her anymore. Um if bubble runs good and it, they let it happen naturally, I think it's going to be great. But, you know, everywhere you see this week, it's been Bubba Wallace, Bubba Wallace, Bubba Wallace. Um, even in spots where you don't really need Bubba Wallace there. Um, I'm just saying, you know, pump the brakes a little bit on Bubba Wallace here. Don't get, let the fans get fatigued. This is a great story. He's a great kid. He does. He's ran a great – had great speed weeks. Um, but just pump the brakes a little bit. That's my warning to NASCAR there. Um, that's the only thing I am concerned about this is where i'm going to be sitting there. am I going to be sitting here in a month and go oh my gosh I, i'm I'm bubble wallused out. you know it happens and and so even to the nicest people uh and, and the people that you root for so um I just you know just watched that for sure, and I thought with his mother in in the media center was a little bit too much for me i'm sorry um you know i just i have never seen a mother in a media center before. And uh, now I see one here. I think it's stupid. Steph Curry brings this kid up on on a press conference with them. These people are trying to do their jobs. Um, so again, I think uh, it was a little much. Th- we saw a little bit much, but but I'm not trying to take away anything from his weekend. I thought he ran a, a a great race, did a great job. He's a great kid. He does everything good. But let's just pump the brakes on him a little bit here and not let the fans get tired of Wallace before he even really has a chance to develop and be a big star in this sport. Uh, what about the uh, the the Controversy with him and Hamlin here. You know, Hamlin hits the wall. I don't think he meant to run him into the wall. Then he gets a lot of people gets on a lot of people's nerves. But I think this is also a product here, John, of a veteran race, a veteran driver who's sort of fatigue, I guess you can say, but that's the word of them we're using tonight. But a little, little bit has a chip on his shoulder with these young drivers. You know, we saw it with Kyle Busch making comments earlier in the off season in January about these young kids uh, being promoted all the time. Is this a product of maybe Denny Hamlin going? You know what? I'm sick and tired of these young kids. We're the ones winning all the races. We're the ones that have built this sport, and we're not getting any respect out here. Uh, I'm done with it. Is that? Could that have been a little bit of what happened here with the Wallace? In your opinion,
0: I don't think it's that. I think Denny was ticked off because he was all fine about it until somebody in the somebody in the interview asked him what he thought about what Bubba said. And then whenever they told him what Bubba said, that's when Denny and Bubba had the confrontation outside the media center. And, I mean, it's understandable. Harvick on his show last night talked about um, Denny Hamlin, and his big thing was sometimes you just got to keep your mouth shut, saying in reference to Denny Hamlin. And Denny has gotten himself into enough hassles as it was. I mean, look what he did with Chase Elliott at Martinsville last year. Um, he's had his run ins with Joey Logano. He's had his run ins with just about everybody. I mean, Denny Hamlin is a very good race car driver. Denny Hamlin isn't the top dog at his own team. He's second fiddle to Kyle Busch. There's no doubt about that. And Denny Hamlin had a chance to win the Daytona 500. He was leading at one point, and Almirola got around him, and Bubba's making the push on Austin Dillon. Yeah, Hamlin blew a tire, ran into Bubba. But even Harvick said, there's 70% of the drivers in the garage that are probably really pissed off at Denny Hamlin because he brought up the Adderall issue. And everybody's going through random tests. And nobody's failing. So I don't know why the heck he brought it up. I mean, he's trying to be funny on Barstool Sports. There are certain things you can be funny about. Mm. Don't be funny about somebody using a substance that would get them kicked out of the sport. Look at Jeremy Mayfield. He flunked one Adderall
1: test for Adderall. And you haven't seen him ever again. AJ well, Almendinger, That's what he failed for. Yep. When AJ had to sit out for a little while. And, and he bounced back. And he said, you know, I took the pills. He had some kind of story where he said he took a pills from the friend or something like that. Which, you know, you can believe on your own terms. But either way. um, It was Adderall. And. I don't understand the comments. I don't, you know, and I think what maybe Hamlin was saying was 70% of the guys are on Adderall with a prescription. Maybe that's the party left out where there's, uh, you know, and if you have it and you have a prescription, I, I'm pretty sure NASCAR allows it. Um, yep. You know, I don't, th- I don't know how they could deny it. So I think maybe that was where he was trying to get at, where hey, you know, a lot of these guys get a prescription. Now you can argue, and, and we can get into ridiculous conspiracy theories about, well, maybe doctors writing prescriptions and stuff like that. They pay to do that. Who, who knows? But at the end of the day, they have a prescription written if you take Adderall in this sport. And maybe that's what Hamlin was talking about, that there's a lot more people on it than what you think because there's more, a lot more prescriptions out there. Who knows? But at the end of the day, uh, it was a stupid comment. There's no doubt about it. I don't know if he regretted that immediately. He got called into the NASCAR hauler because of it. Um, you know, just just dopey, uh, you know, not not thinking. And and Denny has a tendency to rub people the wrong way. You know, he's he's kind of a – have has a, an in, interesting personality because he just seems to – Find controversy here. You know, there, there's just been little tiny things here, whether he's running for a championship and something comes up, just something comes up every year or two here with Denny Hamlin where you kind of scratch your head and go, boy, that's kind of strange. Whether it was the, the deal with Bristol where he had a, a bad back and had to sit out and they had to fly Eric Jones into the race a couple of years ago where still people are scratching their head going, I'm not really kind of sure about what happened there. Um, just there's been weird little things here with Denny Hamlin, and, and this is one of them. Um, and it, I just don't think it does him any favors for sure.
0: Well, the thing with Denny Hamlin with the back at Bristol, I mean, he did have back surgery. And it was after, I mean, he did have his back broken in the wreck with Joey Logano uh, a few years ago. I mean, you break your back once. Once your back goes, you're going to have back pain. And there are certain times you just cannot move to get in the car. And it was one of those days where they had six hours of rain delays. And maybe he was unable to go. And, I mean, I commend him for not going. If he can't get in the car, what good is he? Fly Aaron Jones up and get it done. But Denny just seems to have that little, he's almost like uh, a chihuahua. It's an ankle biter. He finds his way to get, somehow he's stirring crap up. And you hear a lot of Denny Hamlin in the headlines for reasons other than Denny Hamlin winning a race. The one thing that surprised me out of all of this is Bubba Wallace finished second in the daytona 500 and here it is wednesday after the daytona 500 if you look at the headlines there's a hell of a lot more bubba wallace headlines than there are austin Dillon headlines true and that's what surprises me and it isn't nascar forcing it down our throats i mean maybe his mom going into the media center that's one thing they probably said hey since he's there let's give i mean put as much in as possible let's whoever wants to come in with it but I've been in the media center in um, at New Hampshire, and Harvick sitting there with the press. I mean, the, the funny one was they—it was whenever Harvick wanted to get a seat there for Tony Stewart as a car owner, and they put a big fat head up there in Tony Stewart's place because Tony was pissed off that he ran so crappy. So Keelan wound up playing with uh, Uncle Smoke's head. It was Kevin and Roddy Childers, and an empty seat for Tony Stewart. But Keelan took over and Keelan took more time. I mean, everybody paid more attention to Keelan in the press conference than they did Harvick. And they do that with a lot of the families. And it is a great story. I mean, Bubba Wallace isn't one of those guys who's coming with a checkbook. He's one of those guys who's worked his ass off to get where he is. And the different, one of the differences between him and Danica at this stage is Danica would be, would have been in her first cup race or her fifth cup race or whatever it was. She had a couple before, and then she had won the pole and then went backwards. Bubba has come through late models, K&N, truck, Xfinity. Bubba knows how cars. to drive a stock car. Danica right. didn't and never gave information back. That's one of the things you listened to Harvick talk about over the weekend. It was great getting information out of Eric Omarola that we have four drivers giving information of what's happening instead of three and someone going out and signing a book somewhere.
1: Yeah, and and, he won, and Bubba's won a lot of truck races. He's had decent success in Xfinity. He didn't win a race, but you're not sure how Roush's program is. They haven't won, other than a restricted plate race, they haven't won an, an Xfinity race in a long time, probably since Chris Busher's championship a couple of years ago. So it's been a while. Um, so you're not really sure how Roush's um, Xfinity program is. But I'll say this, and, and to change the subject a little bit, because I think we're missing a, a big point in this 500, was Ryan Blaney's effort. I'll tell you what, that 12 called <laughs> Won his duel, was fast in qualifying, was fast in, uh, in the clash. This kid ran a – had a great, great weekend at Daytona. 118 laps. He led of 207. Was up front. Got shuffled out at the end. Um, but I, I, I think you can't leave that weekend and say that Ryan Blaney kid uh, was the best car there. He had the best team there. He was awesome all day long. Um Really a statement race of Ryan Blaney to say, you know what, and not that the Wood Brothers isn't a good team, and I'm not trying to say they're not, but this is his first race with the top-notch Team Penske team, and he went out there and showed people what it was made of. What a weekend for him. Finished seventh, but, you know, you talk about plate racing and how you can't control it. I think the best car there was Ryan Blaney, and he proved he had a really good weekend this weekend, no doubt about it. And he
0: came out the points leader. I mean that's one of the good things about the way they're doing it with the stages and the playoff points and all that stuff. Ryan Blaney was up front all day long, and the thing was, reason why, part of the reason Ryan Blaney finished seventh is Ryan Blaney made a mistake, and he admitted it flat out. He's the one who caught him and Kurt Busch when they got together for that wreck that uh, caused the green-white-checker. Ryan Blaney said, "I should have let him in, or I made a mistake that caused Kurt to go in the wall." First thing he said after the 41. I mean. But he had a great car. I mean, I'm sitting there talking to my friend uh, Travis during the race saying, yep, I picked Blaney. I picked Blaney. Look at me go. And then him and Kurt Busch got into it. But he still salvaged a top 10 finish. A phenomenal day, a phenomenal week for the 12 car. That's the way to come out of the box. I mean, granted, him and Jeremy um, Jeremy Bullins have been together because they ran the last two years with the Wood Brothers. And, yes, um, they ran together a lot in the Xfinity Series. But still – Penske expanded from two to three cars. That is a toll on somebody. There's new cars going into the system. And that was a great day for that 12 car. And I really think Ryan Blaney is going to be somebody to contend with all year. He
1: could win three, four, five races. Yeah, definitely. It, it depends on how the Ford is. You know, Ford's a little behind in a the body. They, they're really good on these plate tracks because they're an older body. They have a little bit more drag um so I think the Fords this week were at an advantage I'm not sure that's gonna be the case at you know maybe this week in Atlanta it's not gonna be shown as much because the tires wear a lot here but I'm not sure that's gonna be the case at Vegas or or Fontana you know when we get to these mile and a half tracks that have a lot of downforce I'm not sure that's gonna be the case but Ryan Blaney went out there this week and proved I'm running up front I don't care and just showed his talent out there no doubt about it I think it was a good weekend for Chris Buescher he finished fifth Uh, They had kind of an interesting strategy there at JTG Daughtery where they didn't really run up in the front early. They stayed out of trouble and both got top tens out of it. AJ finished 10th. Michael McDowell, another good run for him as well in the the Daytona 500. He got stage points in both stages in the 500. Leaves Daytona in a 34 car, 6th in points. Now, I know it's one race, but a nice weekend for Michael McDowell as well. Justin Marks in 12th. David Gilland in 14th. It was a crash fest. And Gil, and Mark stayed out of trouble. Um, but to nice, nice to see some of these smaller names, um, you know, go up there and uh, contend and do a pretty good job during the Daytona 500.
0: Yeah, I really think it was an interesting day. Um, I don't know how many of them are up there come this Sunday in Atlanta because it's not going to be a wreck fest like Daytona and Talladega turn, to, turn out to be. But if you end up missing the stuff, you end up finishing well. And Michael McDowell, I think he's a really good race car driver. I think he's in better equipment than he was at Levine Family with um, Front Row Motorsports. Believe it or not, I actually think he's in better equipment than he was last year. It's a more stable team. Um, They're a little more – they have a better foundation than Levine Family did. I think a lot of Front Row Motorsports, Michael McDowell is going to shine sooner or later. He was a developmental driver for Joe Gibbs Racing. And you look at the develop, anybody who's come through the development program at Joe Gibbs Racing has not sucked. Michael McDowell, solid driver, turned out really well. Bubba Wallace has turned out really well. Matt DiBenedetto, DiBenedetto, even though he's not in great stuff yet, he's a good driver. Denny Hamlin, Eric Jones, Christopher Bell. I mean, Joe Gibbs Racing, find some drivers. And I think, Michael McDowell is going to be solid.
1: Yeah, I, I don't think there's any doubt about that. It was a, it was a good night, good day for Michael McDowell, um, you know, and, and just, again, it's, it's something you like to see because you sit there and you go, um, these, young, these drivers who are in teams that don't normally compete on a weekly basis uh, went out there and really had a nice weekend. Um, a couple other things here, John, coming out of this weekend at Daytona, I want to get your opinion on First of all, The racing, there was a lot of talk and we discussed it uh, after the clash where we kind of sat there and said, what do we think is going to happen with the lower ride heights? Thursday, I heard Larry McReynolds say after Thursday's duels, he was really nervous about what Sunday 500 was going to be like as far as um, how the racing was going to be. We saw a lot of single file in the duels, especially the second one. We didn't see a lot of single file racing, which I like. We saw a lot of crashes. um, And I just think that's drivers being overly aggressive here at these plates. Well, what were your thoughts on the racing and, and the new ride height rule? Do you think it really changed anything at Daytona, Daytona this weekend? Um, what are your thoughts on that?
0: Well, we've always said we want the cars tougher to drive because they're the best drivers in the world, making it as tough on them as possible. And it was weird, with, uh, especially in the duels, um, how Ricky Stenhouse was right there in the middle of stuff where both the accidents in the duel were because he cut out, took the air off the t- the car in front of him and spun him out. Stenhouse never touched anybody. And two people were ticked off in the garage because they thought Stenhouse wrecked them. It was the same way Sunday. I mean, and you saw some of the third stage where they did go single file for a while because right. they figured we already put two big, had two big ones already. And we're just getting, we've got six eighty 80 laps to go here in this third stage. Let's, uh, Let's make sure we're there at the end. You cannot, to finish first, you must first finish. So, And they were down to about half the field by the time they got to the third stage. So, I mean, I think they were playing follow the leader for a little bit because they almost had to. But whenever they decided to get racy, it didn't take long for somebody to either make a mistake or have a mistake made for them because of the handling of the car and the way it was set up with the low ride heights. I don't think it helped the racing any. I don't think it hurt the race. I mean, it hurt the racing a little bit. It it almost caused them to go single file to survive because of the way the low ride heights are and the way the air gets taken off the car
1: just by being around it, not by touching it. Do you think these teams will adapt to that in the next plate race when we go to Talladega, when we go to Daytona in July? Do you think these teams will build their cars a little bit more with a, a little bit more of a chassis or, or setup that's a little bit more secure for these drivers where they sit there and they go – You know, we don't want to have a a car that's all over the place. We want to build it. You know, maybe we don't see as much uh, skew in these race cars as we did. Do you think that's something that they can adapt to? Or do you think they're just kind of stuck with what they got? I think part of it, they're painted into a box.
0: There may be a little bit of an adjustment they can make. But I think NASCAR has them painted in such a box that they can only go out there with what they got. I mean, heck, if if I'm a driver... I almost don't want the low low ride height. I almost want to jack it up a little bit so it travels up and down. It gives you a more sense of a stability than the car than you have with no ride height. You have the car traveling on you, which gives you either uh, the downforce you need on your own or it gives you the stability because the car is riding the way it's supposed to be. I don't know. It's one of those things that NASCAR has... Their way of doing things, and they think they make they think they make an adjustment to make the racing better. And half the time, when NASCAR comes up with a plan to make the racing better, it gets worse before it gets close. Yeah, there's a it's lot different. of engineers that are probably back there in the seven post with trying to figure out how to make it better. And it was different this time because this is the first Daytona 500. It was basically an inbound race between qualifying and the duels you only had so much things you could adjust on it. I mean, you came with what you got. You had a few adjustments you could make, but it's not like you could change the whole car out.
1: Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think it was something – Um, I think it's something these teams might work on. Maybe we'll see a little bit of an adjustment. I thought for sure after Thursday when, when, when we um, – after the duels, I thought for sure we see a rule change. You know, I thought for sure maybe they give them a little bit more spoiler on the cars or something like we used to see back in the play, play tracks. But this new, uh, you know, hierarchy, this new uh, genre, this new, these, new pe- these new people running NASCAR don't do that. They don't make rule changes in the middle of a week, especially in the middle of speed weeks. So we used to see them all the time back in the 90s. Um, and we don't see it anymore, whether it's because they think it's going to cost teams money or, or what the reason is. Um, we just don't see that anymore. That's something NASCAR doesn't do. So, um, And we didn't see it again. And, and again, it was a, a wreck fest. We see it a lot in Daytona. I'm not sure if a rule change would have helped that or not, but I think these teams are going to work on it and look for, look to make their cars handle better rather than just have flat-out speed at the restricted play tracks coming up. And, and, you know, the way I look at it is if, if they still reckon it and it's still crazy four races in, you know, at the end, at Talladega in October, then let's make some rule changes. But let's give it a, a couple of races here. Uh, to see what these teams come up with before we get to Talladega. Another interesting news here, John. A couple other interesting points. One was BK Racing. They came down. A lot of teams were scratching their head. We we saw we had a show here on on uh, last Sunday where we talked about BK Racing qualifying for the Daytona 500. They didn't even make a lap. They 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 tried to present their car. They couldn't pass inspection. While well, they eventually got out there, Greg Alding finished 20th in the Daytona 500, but not before. Uh, the team announced they are filing Chapter 11 bankruptcy, which keeps their charter in there for now. Um, and a couple of interesting news points came out here. From uh, First, the Union Bank and Trust, uh, as part of a recent litigation, the affidavit stated that BK Racing would earn more than $200,000 for this year's Daytona 500 and, and an average of $75,000 for the next 36 events. Uh, that means the team would earn at least $2.9 million if they stayed around 35th in points uh, NASCAR would not comment on the accuracy of the bank's estimates. That was from Bob Pocres. Uh ESPN tweeted that little tidbit out. Um, you know, we talked about the charters. What do you think about that? $2.9 million for a team like BK racing. They're the bottom that that charter is the least valuable of all the charters, uh, but they're guaranteed at least $2.9 million this year. What are your thoughts on that? Um, is that enough money for you? What are your thoughts?
0: Well, for me, yeah. I'd just keep bring the same car out and start and park it if I can get $2.9 million out of it. Uh, part of the reason they didn't qualify is it also except and turn the engine over. Because Joey Arrington is one of the biggest creditors that BK Racing owes money to. They owe him almost $800,000. And it's not like Joey Arrington's made out of money. But uh, Ron Devine, in his F- infinite wisdom, has said because of the bankruptcy, it'll probably make his relationship with Joey Arrington even better. I don't know how it can make it better unless there's some sort of money actually coming into Joey Arrington's hands. But I really don't know who in their right mind would want to do business with him. Who would want – I mean, he owes park suppliers. He owes engine builders. I wouldn't give him anything.
1: Yeah, and, and listen, it. he's got a uh... – a shady reputation no doubt about it but um i just thought that was interesting 2.9 million when you look at it you say is that enough i'm not sure you know everything keeps going up uh in the cup series and i know and that's the bottom you know we got to keep that in mind when we look at 2.9 million dollars that's not what you know joe gibbs racing is bringing in anywhere close to that um that is the bottom of the bottom that is what you get at least um so to to say you know a charter brings you right around three million dollars a year if you got one that's pretty good I think. You know, um uh, who knows what they get in the sponsorship money that still is there as well. But and again it doesn't take into consideration where you finish and stuff like that as well. Um but at the end of the day I think it's a it's an interesting number for sure. Something to to wrap your head around and to look at it and go very interesting. Something I wanted to touch on too was Forbes had an article out this week about NASCAR um and owners uh and the value of their teams and and uh i think it was something that when you look at it you say a, a lot of the news that they put out there isn't surprising one of the things they touched on um was that rashfen my racing uh their the value of their team has gone down in the last 10 years 55% um rashfen racing 10 years ago their value uh was right around um it, it was it's down fifty five percent from where it was a decade ago. Penske, Team Penske's up five percent from a year ago. Um, you know, Rash racing Racing's valued at one hundred and forty million dollars. It was around three hundred and twenty uh a couple of years ago, uh ten years ago, so it just shows you how far that team has dropped. But a couple of other interesting <clears throat> tidbits um from the article that was written by Chris Smith at Forbes magazine um nascar's most valuable team he touched on the fact that the rating for the daytona 500 was a 5.1 the overnight rating it was the lowest tv rating that daytona 500 has ever pulled um but nascar team's net worth is also down two percent from last year as a as a whole um so what are your thoughts on that john here on those two little interesting tidbits um from ford's magazine this afternoon
0: uh, one of the things with the Daytona 500 ratings, I still think starting it at 320 in the afternoon.
1: can't agree more. I think it,
0: kills, I think it hurts a hell of a lot. Uh, I think there's still a lot of people who love the sport, who are so used to getting up, going to church on Sunday, coming home, eating lunch, and parking their ass in the recliner and watching NASCAR. One o'clock start, everything's great. Um, I, I see the Roush Fenway um worth dropping in half because i mean if you remember 10 years ago they were a five car team Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and they're down to two and those two cars haven't been that productive in a long time jack roush and his team has not been that great since carl edwards left and then matt kenseth left and now greg biffle left and they've got the two young guys in Stenhouse and um trevor bain and trevor bain hasn't done anything Anything except win the Daytona 500 the one time but he's not Really done anything The reason he's in that six car is he Brings sponsorship There are a hell of a lot of better drivers I'd take Christopher Bell Today I'd take Matt Crafton today I'd take Sauter today and put them in that six car And they would do better than uh, uh, Trevor Bain is And he's Got money and that's why He's in that car I mean, Chris Buescher should be in that car over Trevor Bain. Chris Buescher didn't bring sponsorship with him. Trevor Bane did. Trevor Bane's in the six car. Tr- Chris Buescher is now with JT- JTG Doherty and probably has a better future there. Because for some reason, Tad and Jody Geschechter and Brad Doherty are great at selling sponsorships. They've done it for years. That's always been a fully funded car. You've never seen a blank spot. You've never seen a thought of a blank spot on the 47 car. And you didn't see it with the 37. I think NASCAR is at a crossroads right now. They're trying to boost up the young bucks. And there are some of them that are very, very easy to boost up. Kyle Larson, he has a performance on the track. Chase Elliott, he's going to win and he's got the family name. Bubba Wallace is an interesting story. If he can prove it with his performance, he will bring more eyes to the table and bring a new audience to NASCAR that they've never had. Ryan Blaney has been phenomenal for NASCAR. He will do anything they ask him. He went out for a ride in his uniform with the president of Daytona Speedway, went through the infield because they asked him. And he says, hell, if I can promote the sport, I'll do it. So they need to build up a fan base because let's look at who's gone in the last few years. Jeff Gordon, Carl Edwards, Tony Stewart, um, Matt Kenseth, Dale Earnhardt Jr. How many people, I mean, you've sat in many a race. The minute Dale Jr. got in the lead, how crazy did the crowd go? Mm. And the minute Dale Jr. wrecked, how empty did the crowd get? NASCAR does not have a Dale Jr. out there right now that people live and breathe and die die over that takes up almost half your audience. They got to build a young buck team and they're going to build it around Chase Elliott and they're hoping Bubba Wallace is able to do something. And they're hoping that Blaney stays with Penske and does great. And they're hoping Kyle Larson gives gives people somebody to pull for. Because, I mean, my favorite driver retired a year and a half ago. I don't have a driver I follow right now. I love the sport. I like certain drivers. I follow Stuart Haas, but I do not have a T-shirt, baseball hat, or anything with any specific driver on it because I haven't found somebody who I like that fits the mold of the driver I enjoy. The closest I've come, I like Blaney. I really like Ryan Blaney. I think he's going to be a hell of a driver in this sport. And I like what he does with the fans. I like what he does with NASCAR.
1: And I like that he's the
0: kid who's out there saying, I'll do whatever you want. That's what they need in this sport right now.
1: Yeah, and you talk about Ross Fenway before. It's interesting to look at. I mean, when you think about 10 years ago in 2008, they had, like you said, they had a five-car team. They had um, Greg Biffle, Carl Edwards, Matt Kenseth, Jay McMurray, David Reagan. Um, and they won 11 races that season with Carl winning nine and Biffle winning two, um, you know, and they just seemed to win all the time. And, and since 2014, um, since that season ended, they haven't had a driver finished better than, they've had only one driver finish better than 20th in the points. And that was Ricky Stenhouse Jr. last year because he won two plate races. So it's been a struggle for that organization. Um, you're right about Bain. Bane's kind of been a dud so far in his career. Um, it's time for him to step up. Stenhouse, we're starting to see him turn the corner. I, I thought last year he had a pretty good year. Um, nine top ten finishes was the most he's ever had in his career. So um, we're starting to see him turn the corner. But we need to see more from Rash Fenra Racing. Um, and it's an interesting uh, – you know, they, they they cleaned house a couple of years ago, brought in new people. Kevin kids there now running the team. Um, so a, an organization that has won 137 races – um, this is they 're sort of at a a state where you 're kind of sitting there going now 's the time these next year or two here to where they have to sort of rebound and find themselves because if they don 't they could be on the out, outside looking in very very quick. I just thought that was interesting that rash was down um fifty five percent since two thousand and eight uh that's that 's crazy to me um, What are your thoughts on on as we as we get to Atlanta here, John? on what else did you see this weekend that, that kind of struck your eye um, at Daytona, whether it was the Xfinity series race, whether it was a truck series race, both had a lot of wrecks in them. What else caught your eye this weekend um, at Daytona national speedway? Um,
0: I thought for the truck and Xfinity race, I mean, we always do. there going to be crashes. I mean, it's Daytona. Same thing's going to happen to Talladega when they run there. I mean, you know my love of restrictor plates. I can't get enough of them. I thought it was a great story that Daniel Hemrick um, got the win in his first race for Junior Motorsports. I think Daniel Hemrick's going to be a solid driver down the road. He's going to be a fine for somebody in the next couple years. And the way he won it by the blink of an eye over Elliott Sadler. And people keep going, oh, Elliott Sadler, they, the track owes him and everybody owes him. There's nobody owes anything, anybody anything in this sport. You get what you can. And Hemrick's folks, I mean, he did a hell of a job. Um, I think Sauter, another great run for him. I mean, he's locked into the playoffs already in the truck series. I think he's going to be fine. Same with Hem- Hemrick. I mean, it's great to see somebody who is a non-cup regular who comes down to Xfinity and wins today. I don't care what it is. I'd rather see a regular Xfinity driver, even though Junior Motorsports is basically a cup team in disguise, because Rick Hendricks, the money behind junior motorsports, but I like seeing Daniel Hemrick get the win um, in the cup side. I mean, it was nice to see some of the um, not so normal up there guys. It was a great story. with Michael McDowell is a great story. Matt Benedetto was up there for a while until he got caught up mm-hmm. in his stuff. Um, it was great. I mean, one of the things that we always see is uh, Paul Menard is always up there to restrict your plate. I mean, you look, he comes out of Daytona in the top ten in points every year. I think he's going to – we'll have to see what he's got because he's in Wood Brothers' equipment, which is basically Penske Light, instead of Richard Childress' equipment. I think Richard Childress dropping to two teams and putting up the stuff that they're doing, I think it was a great week for RCR. I mean, Austin winning, Bubba Wallace in RCR equipment finishing second, Newman was in the top ten. I mean, Ty Dillon got caught up in the stuff early. But RCR, because they've contracted a little bit, I think they've put more resources into their two cars. And they both, I mean, because originally when the, we saw the shootout, Ryan, Ryan Newman and Austin Dillon both were out to lunch in the shootout. Hmm. Or in the clash. And right. what they did between last Sunday and this Sunday, hell of a lot of work and a hell of a lot of performance. A great day for RCR.
1: Yeah, it, they had a, you know, every time you win the day twenty five hundred, it's huge for you, for sure. And uh, I think it's something that when you look at it, you say, um, well, can they can they produce it? Can they keep doing that at tracks like Atlanta? Um, it, Atlanta's a, a, a tough racetrack. You know, in RCR, we've seen them run very good and win the big race last year with the 600. And all of a sudden, by the time the playoffs came, they were at the lunch. They weren't any good. Um, they brought in Andy Petrie this year. I think that's going to help them. He's a very smart guy. He's a people person. He knows how to run a team. He ran his own team. He's won a ton of championships in the past. I know the cars have changed a lot, but he's a people person, and he's a guy who can say, this is what you need to do, Richard. Um, You know, Here's what we need to do. Uh, If this guy's not performing, I don't think he's going to hold anything back. Um, I think he knows how to win, and that's huge um, no matter what. So I think Petrie is going to really help that team there at RCR. Uh, it was good to see him back in Victory Lane again. So it's one race and that, that's the thing. You know, when you get to Daytona, I think a lot of people we wait all year before the Daytona five hundred, we look at it and we say it's a fun race, it's a fun weekend that entire speed weeks. Um but it's something that we can't, you know, give too much uh take too much t- in because you look at the rest of the season, there's only three other races like it. Um two at Talladega and the, and the other one at Daytona. At Atlanta this weekend, what kind of racing do you expect to see? I, you know, you look at last year on the, on the plates, on the, on the, on the mile-and-a-half tracks, excuse me. Um, the 78 team was, at, was was a the team to beat uh, last year. Uh, Toyotas were very good, especially at the end of the year. They really found their uh, – spread their wings and really shined uh, the last half of the year, and, and that was part of the reason why Truex won a championship. They just – they were great. Um, Chevrolet has got a new body this year. Ford's got an older body. They have the new Hawkeye system, the measuring template here in NASCAR in 2018. All that into this week. What do you think we're going to see at Atlanta this weekend, John, for the Folds of Honor Quick Trip 500? I think um,
0: this weekend you will see a veteran win. And part of it is because they know how to take care of tires. Because we talked about it last year when they dropped down the amount of tires that you were able to get on pit road, how many tires, how many sets of tires teams had, you have to be able to conserve tires. You wear out a set of tires on your qualifying lap in Atlanta. And the drivers kept asking, keep the old surface, keep it, keep it all beat up. Keep it tearing up tires. Whoever can manage tires, the best is going to win the race, which to me means it's going to be Kevin Harvick, Jimmy Johnson, Kyle Bush, Brad Kislowski somebody of that knack is going to be someone who wins the race. Austin Dillon will be lucky to finish 25th this week. Partly because he's probably still going to be hungover from the week from Sunday. But also partly because Austin Dillon still hasn't figured out how to take care of tires and how to make a run. He's still one of those young bucks who thinks I got to go fast every I got to win every lap. Instead of realizing you got to pace yourself so your tires can last at the fuel run. And I think that's what some of these veteran drivers have learned over the years. The Harvicks, the Kyle Bushes, and all that stuff. I think Truex, until somebody proves different, is the guy to w- watch out on a mile-and-a-half track. But Atlanta wasn't that mile-and-a-half track for him last year. So Atlanta is a different mile-and-a-half. I, I still say the season doesn't start till the West Coast swing. Daytona its own animal. Atlanta is its own animal. Then we really start the season
1: next week on the West Coast Swing. Atlanta is it, its own animal because you mentioned you know, the, the tires wearing here and and, and these cars and uh, the way they're going to slide around. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch. I, I think this racetrack is an awesome racetrack. Um, I'm excited to see what they do. I'm excited to see what this Hawkeye system does. Um, you know, and the 78 team is an interesting team because – they were great everywhere last year, but they, did, they didn't have a great run at Atlanta, no doubt about it. But they were great pretty much everywhere else last year. Um, but they struggled for speed this weekend at Daytona. Um, again, does that correlate to Atlanta? Probably not. But the concern and the confusion on that team this week was something that I found interesting. You know, it wasn't like they sat there and said, ah, it's Daytona, who cares? They were just kind of like, well, what do we do now? You know, we, we can't find any speed. So I thought that was interesting. Maybe something we can keep an eye on as we get ready for Atlanta. Premium Motorsports, John, has an interesting thing coming up I want to talk talk to you about and how you think um, this will help or hurt this team. Uh, they announced today that two veteran crew chiefs will be on a rotation uh, in 2018 as they field one full-time car uh, with Pat Rison and Todd Parrott. Um, so basically every other week, last week it was Pat Rison. This week, it's going to be Todd Parrott. Next week, it's going to be Pat Trison again. The following week, it's going to be Todd Parrott. Jay Robinson claimed the move was for two reasons. One, so the team could be more prepared upon showing up at the track on a weekly basis. And so each crew chief won't get worn out by the grind of the long Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series schedule. Interesting, because I think um, we see a lot of veterans who kind of want to come off the road. Um, is this something maybe of the future we could see? Uh and, and premium motorsports is the first team to ever do this what are your thoughts on, on the rotation of crew chiefs here at premium motorsports in 2018 well
0: it's a little early to digest it i it's one of those things you'll have to see as it plays out but i look at it, it's like a football quarterback if you have two quarterbacks you have none That's I'm true thinking you have two crew chiefs you have none Who's going to be able to – I mean, you're not going to build the relationship that that driver is used to what that guy has because each week you got somebody different on the box. It's like, okay, Pat likes to do this. Oh, Todd likes to do this. Wait, who's on the box this week? Um, the driver almost has prepared different for two different crew chiefs. I mean, to get a car and have somebody massaging it two weeks in a row – I mean, for two weeks before it goes to the track, if that's what you need to do, you need to not be in the sport. Now, yeah, it's interesting. Stuart – Stuart Haas sort of did a sort of done something like this as well, because Tony Gibson is basically doing what they're having the other crew chief do. Tony Gibson's the guy who's sitting back there massaging the four cars every week to make sure it gets through inspection. He's the one who goes to the R and D center. If they get on a teardown, he's the one who's the final guy to make sure the cars are ready to go and get into the, get into the hall or to shift to the track. I think this is something they're sort of doing where instead of, having one guy at the shop and one guy on the, on the box. I think they're trying it two ways where one guy's at the shop one week and one guy's on the box that week. It, it's going to be interesting, but I almost look at it as the two quarterback system in football. If you have two quarterbacks, you have no quarterbacks.
1: Yeah. I I think you bring up a good point. And here's where I'm concerned a little bit too for this is, you know, let's say, and they don't have a, a, a driver who's in that car full time this year. Um, You know, their effort last week was a one-off effort. It was kind of a weird deal because Tony Uri Jr. was a crew chief there. Um, This week it's Pat, you know, Pat and guided uh, Justin Marks last week in the 51 and a a Rick Ware racing entry. That was sort of premiums own entry. Um, And it was sort of an RCR deal with a combination of premium on the seven. Um, But when you, if you get a driver who sits there and says, you know, let's say you get a driver in there for 10 weeks and, you know, for the first two weeks under Pat Tricin, he doesn't run that good. And for the first two weeks under um, Todd Parrott, he runs good. He's going to start sitting there going, listen, I, I why are we doing this? Get 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 Trison out of here. I, I don't want Tricin here. You know, or, or a kid with money comes in here and says, well, Pat Tricin's performed better this year than, than Todd Parrott. I don't want Todd Parrott. I want Pat Tricin. So you're right. It sort of causes a bit of... Um, you know, angst amongst the team, it causes a bit of, of um, you know, I, I think a, a little bit of a distraction among the team as well. I think also you might look at it and say maybe the team members at the shop might not know who's in charge um, or, or for every weekend. They don't listen to Trison. They listen. It's just to me it's kind of a messy situation. But it's an interesting one because you have two veteran guys who might want to be off the road a little bit more here. Um, so I think that's where it's interesting. I think if they really wanted to be off the road like that, they'd
0: pull like a Tony Gibson role. Um, Like I said, I still am surprised Michael McDowell didn't bring Todd Parrott with them to Front Row Motorsports. But it should be, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see a a team doing that's uh, trying to make themselves, make a go of it with Jay Robinson. They're an underfunded team. They're a little team that's trying to do well. Maybe this is something that catches on and somebody of the other small teams, like a Front Row Motorsports or something like that, starts looking at this as a way of doing business for a smaller team to make it big.
1: Yeah, and you maybe maybe, who knows what their salaries are, too. Um, I want to thank everybody for listening and talking in circles tonight. Uh, Like our Facebook page, like us on Twitter. We'll be back here Sunday after the Folds of Honor's Quick Chip 500 at Atlanta Motor Speedway, breaking that race down for you guys as well. Good night, everybody. We'll see you next time.